0: You're listening to E Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. And now, a quick shout out to a giant pain in the butt for ecom stores everywhere getting the right photos and videos to sell your products. Here's the truth not a single transaction happens on the internet that doesn't involve a visual. If you're in e commerce, you need professional photos. That's Suna. They're the virtual content studio. Join over 10,000 merchants who get high quality creative by simply shipping their product, joining their shoot online and paying for the photos they need as they go. Oh, and those photos, they're only $39 each. Your pain point is about to be your secret weapon. Get started today at Suna.co. That's S-O-O-N-A.co. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm here today with one of our newest partners, Jim Huffman from Growth In. They're a marketing agency for D2C brands. And for some background, I'm a subscriber myself to Trends. It's a community and newsletter for entrepreneurs that are looking to start something new. And a while back, they featured Jim and his approach to what it takes to build a lasting D2C brand. And it was honestly spot on. So I thought it'd be fun to walk through that here, live on the show. Jim, excited for this, thanks for coming on.
1: Ben, thanks for having me, man. Uh, I've been a fan of yours and Privy's for a while, and it's been fun to just chat before. We're both girl dads, so there's other uh, stories we might have to exchange another time.
0: Yeah, and founders too, so a lot in common. But um, let's start with you and Growth Hit. Give us the background and, and what you're up to there.
1: Yeah, I started Growth Hit around five years ago. I was out in New York and um, I was lucky enough to work at some consumer startups that were doing really well, and then got to connect with some VC firms and I was consulting on the side. And then it kind of started to snowball. And I was like, I should probably make a decision if I'm gonna go all in on this. And that was about five years ago where we started this kind of agency or consultancy. And the way we position ourselves is we're a growth team because we saw so many cool founders with cool ideas getting traction, then they're like, oh crap, how do I grow? And we love that phase. When you're past product market fit, and you're trying to go from selling hundreds of products to thousands of products. And so we literally just do three things as like our growth team. We do site optimization, make a website that can convert. Too many times we see people drive expensive traffic to a site that doesn't convert. The second is paid acquisition. And then the third is email automation and marketing. That way we can control the entire funnel. So yeah, we're about 30 people, worked with over a hundred different companies. We've actually had two get acquired this year by private equity firms. We've had four raise over like 50 million bucks and, and a few go on Shark Tank. So we like to act like we can take full credit for all of those accolades, even though it's a lie. But no, it's super fun to work with founders at that phase of growth. Awesome! I
0: love that idea of like presenting your team as a growth team not an agency. I think that says a lot about how you approach the relationships. You said brands that have product market fit. So is there a way that you define like a great fit brand for growth fit? Is it revenue or number of orders or what?
1: Yeah, we like it when companies are over 1.5 to 2 million in sales, because then it can really justify honestly, and making an investment in us. And we we really want you to have product market fit. We've worked with some before. We've worked with some as they're trying to launch, which can help because we can accelerate things. But if you don't have a product people want, we're just going to accelerate how fast you fail, which could be a good thing so you can pivot. But um, usually it's companies that are on Shopify, Magento. You have a product you're selling between twenty to well, it could even be like two thousand dollars. But usually doing that transaction online is where we can have a, a big impact. That's awesome.
0: So give us a little bit of the backstory on the trends coverage, right? So that was a tweet thread that you posted that got picked up?
1: Exactly. So with our agency growth, hit, deep down, we want to be a startup studio and launch our own products and brands. And we're like, okay, we've worked with over a hundred companies. Let's connect the dots if we were starting a brand from scratch, what are the things we would do to guarantee success? And let's act like money is not an option, there's no obstacle, what would you do? So we did it by looking at brands we've worked with, brands that we stock and follow, and we tried to make it into a very simple list. That way, if someone's starting, it's like, hey, here's the cheat code, on how to design a brand that will actually succeed from your positioning, to your pricing, to your business model, to your go-to-market strategy. We tried to break it down in a very bite-sizable thread and also give examples, because I love examples. I I love pictures, I love case studies to make it more vivid. And so that was the spirit of the post. Yeah, it's great. And what I love about it is that
0: it's such a nice compliment to a lot of the content that I talk about on the show. Like a lot of what our episodes are tactical, how to do this or examples of brands that have, you know, done ABC to grow organic or to grow YouTube or Pinterest. But this is more just like, Hey, these are strategies to put in place that are going to give you a better shot at success. So. It really resonated with me. So let's get into it. You want to just kind of walk us through and some of them are pretty self-explanatory, but like would love your commentary on them too. And we can riff.
1: Yeah, of course. Happy to go through it um, and just kind of list there. And we can kind of riff on things that we agree with or don't agree with. But yeah, I mean, the first one, it's so obvious, but it's something that you really have to do if not nothing else works. And that's get the product right. If not, nothing matters. And so let's talk about how you can get it right. First is, you know, you need to create, when you can, a painkiller, not a vitamin, something that really solves a problem. And by the way, this, this can be a real problem. Like with hems, they're going after balding, right? Or it could be a problem that's unique where with Adam's shoes, they do shoes not in half sizes, but in quarter sizes, because most people, their feet are different sizes. So you for your left foot, you could get like a 10 and a half. And for your right foot, you could get a 10 and three fourths. And so solving a problem one way, two is being different like Adams is. And third is make a product specific for a niche or an audience. Because one of the recipes for failure is trying to be everything to everyone. But if you go a step further and choose one audience where you make something for them, your conversion rate's going to go through the roof. Like, for example, Bala Shoes. They do shoes for nurses who are on their feet for 12 hours a day and, you know, they can't market everybody, but for that audience, there's a reason why they did 1.5 million in their first seven days because of that. So so that's one big one, which is again, obvious, but if you do this right, your marketing is so much easier. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: even just what you said in the intro to the show about growth fit, you know, you're focused on brands that have product market fit that are doing 1.5 million or more, right? Or... I think about Privy, we really started to see success when we niche down and started to focus on Shopify stores that are at the time doing between zero and 1 million. Now we've kind of matured beyond that. But, you know, it does make a lot of sense to like specifically focus on a segment. You know, you can't just solve everyone's problems. You can only solve a set of specific problems for a specific persona, at least initially, before you think about expanding.
1: It's hard to say no to potential customers or clients, but when you niche down, I mean, the riches are in the niches. It's the most overset thing, but it is I need to have it, like tattooed on my arm because it every time we do that, it it helps. The second one, whenever we're launching new company, it's not about really launching the company. Usually the best D2C brands are launching on the back of a flagship product. So when you're going to market, you need to be very confident in what is that tip of the spear when introducing your product to the world. And that needs to be the one that solves the biggest problem or has the biggest magic moment, meaning they put on the thing, they use the thing. And they're like, I love this so much. I will be telling my friends about it, right? It has natural virality built into it. And that's something like Girlfriend Collective, they really are the ones that were into athleisure in the early days. It was their leggings, Bombas was their pants, Universal Standard is a size inclusive brand. They had a travel dress that looked really good, but it was good for traveling and it was very comfortable. So you want to know like what is that flagship product? That's kind of the Trojan horse to get people in the door to then tell them about the brand. I love that. And I'm a huge believer like all the
0: marketing tactics in the world and all the strategies in the world will not help you if you don't nail the product.
1: It's everything. And whenever we talk about like nailing a product, you can go to market on features, you can go to market on benefits, you can go to market on a problem you're solving. Or a use case. We'll get into some fun use case examples, but um, it's not just like putting the product out there, but how do you speak to your customer in a way where it truly resonates? Right. And so we kind of hit on this one, which is solving the real problem. And whenever you have your flagship product, this gets to number three. How do you position that in a way where it's solving the problem of that ideal persona? Right. So One that I really love, they're putting on a masterclass in conversion rate optimization is Curology with personalized skincare if you have acne or aging skin. And they really launched on the back of that and they use that flagship product to really hone in on the problem that they're solving, right? Ministry of supply is a fun one. It's men's dress clothes that feel like pajamas, right? They're very comfortable. And so leaning into that problem of like investment bankers and lawyers, you're sick of wearing these suits you're sweating through that you can't move around in. And so what can you pick on? What can you villainize when you're solving a problem? And that kind of leads to the fourth one around that persona we're trying to speak to One of my favorite examples is around Bala and what they did for nurses when no shoe was really made for them. And they're trying to compete against Crocs, which is a really fun, like, by the way, I love Crocs. My girls have Crocs. We wear them to the pool. But for nurses, I I think there's probably a better option. And so for them, it was kind of really leaning into that persona, the problem they're solving, even villainizing those competitors that they think they're they're better than. But those are kind of the first four whenever I'm thinking through nailing the product, the persona, the problem you're solving, because that is your foundation for your marketing strategy, right? We can kind of get into business models, but not sure if you have any thoughts on those. No, these are great. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on business model. So it's like, okay, you've got this idea. You're going to market with it. The big question is, how do your unit economics make sense? Meaning how much are you spending to acquire them? How much money will you make over the lifetime value? Or if you're a bootstrap business owner, how much money are you making in 90 days or in six months, right? So here's the holy grail of a business model for D2C. High average order value, so over a $100. Second is high repeat purchase rate, ideally more than one time a quarter. The third is a low return rate. So if you're in the beauty space, your return rate's usually super low. However, if you're in pants and shoes, your return rate can be high, right? 20 or 50%. Another thing is limited colors and sizes, man, like having to be in pants would be very exhausting. Whereas like we're launching our own D2C product. It's a men's grooming product where there's no size runs, there's no colors. And then you also get bonus points if you can pull off the subscription model, right? Like Billy Razors and obviously like Harry's and Dollar Shave Club, really good at leaning into the trial, knowing that once they get you in and hooked, they're going to have reoccurring revenue every month. And so whenever you're thinking through your business model, how can you do that? Because one thing that we struggle with with our DTC brand uh, that's in grooming, it's great repeat purchase rate. However, the average order value is 30 bucks. So how do we lift that, right? and get that to 70 or 90 through bundles or other packages or products? But it's something to think through because that business model will drive how much you can spend on growth and obviously impacts your, your profit margins. Nice. So it's interesting that you guys
0: are actually launching some of your own D2C brands as a growth team. I think that's really fascinating. We should get you back on in a couple months to talk specifically about some of those and how it's going. But like before you decide on a brand to build yourself, are you kind of sitting around the table talking as a team through a list like this?
1: Well, we are. We have not really brainstorms, but we try and do it with a problem-focused slant, where it's like, what problems are we trying to solve? And is that worthwhile to prototype something, to validate something, and does it fit in this criteria? Um, And we do have a little bit of an unfair advantage in that we get to work with so many cool owners and categories and products where it gives inspiration on things that we would want to be a part of. Like, for example, I love products that go after brides, parents, or dog or cat owners, because they're such a high intent to buy, and they are price insensitive. And so those categories are are, are very interesting. But we also want to do stuff that kind of scratches our own itch that, that we're excited about. Nice. What else was on the list? Another big one is, I'll kind of put these two together, which is creating a movement, and then the other one is kind of owning your own category. So with creating a movement, examples of companies that have done this extremely well is Tom's Shoes Bombas Socks with the movement of buy a pair and give a pair to someone in need. I mean, Tom's Shoes, uh, Blake Mikowski, whenever he showed their shoe drop video, It changed the game for his company because it really created this movement of giving back. And he did it in a very visual way. Everlane was also transformative with radical transparency, where they pulled back the curtain, showing their business model and how they price things and really leaned into sustainability, which is another movement that Allbirds does. Because when you create a movement, you're not just selling a product, you're selling an aspiration or a mission where people are willing to pay a premium for your product. They're willing to go directly to your website as opposed to Amazon to build that relationship with you. And again, this can be hard to do because it has to be genuine, but that's a big one. The seventh one, this is honestly my favorite. It's creating your own category. And in the 22 Immunable Laws of Marketing, it's chapter two, where if you can't be the leader in your category, create your own. And that sounds really hard, but these categories can be a little nuanced. I think one of the best examples is Spanx. They are shapewear. But if they... And whenever you're creating a category, you have to educate people and you have to educate people with storytelling. And what they did really well was in their marketing, they didn't promote their brand or product. They promoted the category because by educating the category, it actually lifts your brand. So they go to market. They're like, you need shapewear. But to educate people, they did it with use cases. And they literally got to eight figures on the back of two use cases. One is you're a woman, you want to wear that silk dress to the event, but you may be insecure because it could show parts of your body or roles you, you don't want to show, use shapewear Spanx to have a clean silhouette. The second use case was around hiding panty lines. And it was really those two things and two skews that got them to eight figures. So this is something that we're kind of obsessed with when you can do category creation. We're doing it with our own D2C brand. Like I have have like longer hair. I was using hair gel that made my hair look greasy and, and not good. And so I was stealing my wife's dry shampoo. So we created dry pomade, which is like pomade you use for your hair, but it actually gives it that clean feel and dries it out. But it's specifically for guys with longer hair, but it's a test. Like, can we educate the market on this category of dry pomade and will people even care? So that's a whole nother podcast on how we, we spoke to like a thousand people to see if that's even of interest. But, um, but anyway, th- that's one we're, we're very much obsessed with.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of creating movement, owning your own category for the right operator and founder that can be transformative. Uh, I also will say that there's another approach where you can niche down finding an existing market and take that completely opposite approach, that can be really powerful too, because there's existing demand that you're tapping into. However, it's harder to be premium and it's harder to differentiate if you're doing that. So I think, you know, totally with you, if you can, and you can commit to kind of getting up on the soapbox and talking about what that category is and defining it and owning the content around that could be huge potential. If you know that's not you as a founder, there are some other ways too, but I love looking at both of those.
1: Totally agree. And yeah, like niching down in a crowded space where you're taking market share and it's one that like, you aren't the best for everybody, but for that persona, you're the one. I, I do agree that that's a great go-to-market strategy. Another one is around picking a fight with the status quo. Because whenever you launch something, startups are so hard because your default debt, Meaning if you don't do anything, nobody cares because you don't have any customers. So you're out of business. So you have to make noise. You have to put yourself out there. And a lot of times that means picking a fight and to get on the radar of people in a category you're going after, or that use an incumbent that you want to take market share from. And there's different ways you can do that. But when picking a fight, you always want to punch up in weight class and go bigger. You want to be the underdog. And you don't necessarily have to go after a direct competitor. You can go after the status quo, right? But like, you can also go after big brands that that move slow. So one example is Third Love. They picked a fight with Victoria's Secret. And the hill they chose to die on was around fit. And they're like, hey... It's time to get an undergarment that actually fits you. And they leaned into fit. They launched on the back of their size chart and they had this quiz that helped find the right size product for you. And then it funnels it to that right one. But they were extremely aggressive. They took out ads in the New York Times. They did like an open letter to Victoria's Secret. This can be good in the early days, but however, it could always come back to get you. But it is something where if you wanna go really aggressive, you can definitely do that. Yeah. That's a super fun one. Yeah. One of my favorite
0: books is from Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce. It's called Behind the Cloud. And I think he was like an early proponent of that idea of like picking a fight with the status quo, creating a villain from the incumbent. And I took away a lot of good lessons from that book, highly recommend it. But yeah, Third Love's a, a great one. There's just countless examples of creating a villain or, or the status quo. It's good.
1: All right, I need to read that one. I've not read that. That's that's a good recommendation. Um, very cool. Two other ones I'll hit on is one is building a community early. And now again, this isn't for everybody because to build a community, it has to be anchored around something that is genuine and authentic. But when you can do that, oh man, it is such an unfair advantage. I saw that firsthand with one of our clients, Crail uh, Essence. It's this really impressive founder. Um, She makes Haitian black castor oil that you use. If you have curly hair, it's more for black women. And her founding story is amazing. She was like literally kind of losing hair. This product saved her. Their community that they have drives their product roadmap. It drives their marketing strategy. And I mean, if she ever needs like an upvote or has a launch, she goes to the community and she can really mobilize them quite well. Glossier, Lululemon have done this really well. So that's one that's really nice. And then another one, number 10, I guess, is a cool product isn't enough. Too many times I see cool websites with cool products that have horrible conversion rates. And it's because people go to the side like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll buy it later it's not just enough to throw up something that's interesting. You have to give people a reason to convert and to activate, right? And so testing different tactics for activation is something you need to be obsessed with, whether that's, Third Love doing the Fit Finder Curology, giving you the first month free, then it converts to subscription. Mott & with Pants doing their home try-on program, giving you multiple pants for free to try the right one for you. Beard Brand with their Beard Quiz. Even if you can use time as part of that offer, where it gets delivered in X amount of time, or if it doesn't work by this time, like money back, you need to give a, people a reason to convert today, especially if you're in a price point of 30 to 150 $200, where it could even be an impulse purchase. That's something to definitely focus on. I like it. I'll go through a few more. We have like, turn your customers into marketers. This is one we're obsessed with, where the best growth engines are the ones that are able to grow in a way where they don't pay for it. And that means turning your customers and marketers. So how do you engineer virality? So one of the obvious ways is through referral mechanisms. Like with Harry's, they built up their wait list to over a hundred thousand by like, hey, you get on the wait list. And by the way, if you invite five people, you get free shaving cream. If you invite 25 people, you get a Winston's shave set. If you invite 50 people, you get free blades for a year. I mean, I don't even know 50 people, but they literally had, for every sign up, they got eight invites and that's how they got their list to a hundred thousand at launch. And Girlfriend Collective did something similar where they gave away free leggings to people that shared it online. And um, that acquisition strategy, those people that shared had a higher repeat purchase rate than people they got through ads. Obviously you got to watch out if it gets out on the deal sites, but it was super impactful. Doing that one. And so that's something even with our own brand. We're like, how do we make this thing go viral? And we're baking into our budget how we are willing to give away products for people doing these shares because you know, we're not some VC backed brand. We've got to be creative in how we acquire companies.
0: I like that one. I think the idea of turning customers into marketers sounds amazing, right? And like a lot of people rush to turn their customers into affiliates and give them a link to promote, but like. That to me is only successful if, like, your product's amazing, if the story is unique, and you're kind of marrying some of the concepts that you've talked about today into one. But, like, I love some of those suggestions on how to gamify, like, pre launch, whether it's a new product or expansion or something like that. Huge potential there and turning them into advocates.
1: I know it it really is a lot of people do referrals as an afterthought, but when you invest in it, oh my gosh, you look so smart as a marketer. And one that, you know, this is something that a lot of people probably listening to this want instant results. This isn't something that won't be instant, but in 12 months you'll be so happy you did it. And that's investing early and in organic. And that means what are you doing on YouTube, on your own blog with on-site optimization, potentially getting backlinks, earn media, that stuff can compound. But again, it's hard if you want those instant results. And then one that's really big, and not all business models can do this, but with the rising CPM costs on ads and distribution channels being more saturated, retention really is the new CAC with different business models. And so whenever you invest in that the right way, whether that's dialing in your conversion rate and using email to do that, compressing the repeat purchase rate for um, every six months, every three months or two months, your lifetime value goes up, which means you can potentially spend more on CAC or you have more room to do more experimentation. And whether it's loyalty programs, making an SMS strategy that's truly premium and VIP, that's a good way to do that. Like Curology, they connect you with the dermatologist, right? Which is very impactful. We're Working with one brand that's working through an SMS strategy where they connect you with a sommelier, right? And the, the exciting thing about SMS is your open rate is so much higher than email. The response time is faster. If you do it the right way, it can be very, very engaging. Kind of leads to the next one, which is around customer services marketing. Some of the best retention tactics are around customer service. Bombus had the ninjas, Warby Parker, they'd record one off YouTube videos to send to their customers. Because, in a lot of times, whenever you mess up with a customer, that's actually an amazing opportunity to surprise and delight them with customer service. And that's something to think about because those first impressions, those magic moments can buy you 12 or two years of loyalty with a customer. So, using customer service as marketing is something that, that can be very impactful.
0: Two of my favorite books that I've ever read about business and marketing are about that exact concept. So Tony Shea, who was the founder of Zappos, wrote a story about a few books, but his first one about Zappos and the incredible customer service. Like that was what differentiated them from shoes.com, Amazon at the time, and all these other ones. And then the other one is called Hug Your Haters by Jay Baer, which is all about like when you get a really horrible, or no, not horrible, but really angry customer that's like really, really angry. They're angry because they're so passionate about the problem that you're trying to solve. And so like, if you lean into that person and go above and beyond, that's an opportunity to create a customer for life and advocate for life because like they're just expecting you to drop the ball.
1: That's really good advice. I have not read that second one. I do love delivering happiness. And um, there's another book called Never Lose a Customer Again, where it talks about orchestrating the first hundred days of uh, someone experiencing your product. That is, it's kind of transformative right now with what we're doing with the agency and even with the brand. Um, So yeah, very cool. Okay, I'll, I'll kind of combine these next three. So one is build your growth strategy around your seasonal dips and spikes. And and I'll talk about that in relation to social ads and Google ads. So when I say your seasonal spikes, picture your 12 months, there's naturally gonna be two peaks. And my guess is Q4 is probably one, Maybe if you're in the fitness space, it's uh, Q1 around New Year, New You. Maybe if you're, I don't know, swimsuits or dresses for uh, bridesmaids, it's around Q2 leading up to the summer months. So you have these two peaks. That also means like maybe Q3 and Q1, you're going to have these dips. So, how does your strategy align with the demand? So, in those high demand times, you need to maximize demand. Dial in CRO, dial in your email campaigns to maximize sales, your ad campaigns. But in those troughs, you've got to engineer demand. That means you need to be more innovative and creative with partnerships, collaborations, product drops, picking a fight. And the way you think about that is getting ahead on projecting out what your potential demand will be. And then that's when you can do things because. You know, a fun example, Peloton this past few, I mean, Peloton has been going through some tough stuff. You know, they're in a, a dip right now. And so like, we've got to engineer demand. They had like Lizzo come on and teach a class with all of her people. And it like got all this buzz on the internet. Will that translate into sales? I have no idea, but they're making noise. And as a brand, we have to look at our 12 month calendar and be like, how are we making noise? Through product launches, product drops, partnerships and all these different mechanisms. And so anyway, we, we could kind of riff on that, but that's something that I, I hate it when I see people not thinking this through the best brands are the ones that are making noise every single month in creative and innovative ways. And we have a whole playbook on different things you could do there, but that's a big one. And a way to think about it is kind of leads to the next two things with your growth tactics, you have channels that are always on, you're always doing, or you're probably always doing your ads to some extent, you're always doing some sort of content marketing. But what are the things that are burst, things that you kind of do that are more of like boost? So there's certain things you could do maybe every month, every quarter, or once a year. And so you want to spread those out so you can maximize your overall sales throughout the year. And so those are things that we're thinking through when building the strategy. I mean, happy to talk about that. And then we could even get tactical in some of the ad stuff that we're seeing as well.
0: Yeah. We talk a lot over the last couple of years about marketable moments and creating your own demand. And like, I love that line of thinking like, yes, anytime you're dropping a new product or you've got a big national holiday, like those are obvious times, but like, what can you as a operator or a team do to continue building momentum and make some noise outside of those, I think is a really important thing to spend time on as a team. Oh yeah. It's
1: everything. A few things, just like on, like, I think everybody's like, oh, the 14.5 iOS update killed how we do paid acquisition on Meta, Facebook, and Instagram. And it definitely has. I mean, you do want to diversify in general so you're not dependent on any one channel. However, like, we actually work with, well, they were the Facebook disruption team, people that control the algorithm. We've had some of our best success in the past four months. We have changed how we optimize our ads four times since the iOS update. But I mean, Facebook has not updated their interest-based targeting in over four years. People are still using that for targeting. It's not as efficient. Even lookalikes have been neglected. And so really it's about leaning into your creative, your flagship products, the point of differentiation, the problems they solve because the creative allows them to use that to target the right audience as long as you're giving it that open room to get out of learning, meaning you're getting over 50 events in a week then it gets out of learning gets into optimization and it can find people based off that creative so it's really over investing in your creative assets obviously account architecture is huge but then after that like the other targeting isn't as impactful but if you can do that combined with your Google ad strategy whether it's your your branded keywords non-branded competitive keywords google shopping you're getting that intent based search versus the more editorial based targeting, that can really be a a superpower if you know how to pull those levers the right way. But um, again, as opposed to organic, those are the quick ways to get growth, but you want to do it the right way. So you don't just hand money over to Google and Facebook without (laughs) getting anything in return, which we've all been guilty of.
0: Oh yeah. Of course. I think everyone can relate. Yeah. So this has been amazing. I mean, jam-packed with examples and strategies. What are the last couple to bring us home, Jim?
1: Yeah. I mean, just don't reinvent the wheel whenever you're doing your tech stack. Use Shopify, use Privy, things that are proven. People want to get real fancy and you're starting out, don't do that. Know your numbers, understand margins, your CAC, your LTV, your return rate. So you truly can invest in growth the, the right way. And then finally, I mean, it kind of aligns with what you and I both do, but it's invest early in product and conversion rate optimization and everything else will look better whether it's i'm not trying to make a plug for you guys but like Privy's fantastic whether it's having a dialed in conversion rate or building an email list Oh man, it's such an unfair advantage. We even launched a productized service called One Day Design, where we can help you design a landing page that converts for e-commerce companies very quickly. So you wouldn't have to pay for our expensive agency, but set that foundation and that can really unlock opportunities you can do for growth. Love it.
0: What an incredible list. I think this is probably the most jam-packed episode on different strategies to think about for launching or growing amazing having you on, Jim. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm actually excited. I'm going to be joining you on your podcast Friday. I think it is, right?
1: That's right. Two times in a week, we're really accelerating this relationship. But I know, man, I have so much I want to pick your brain on with everything you've built and the acquisition. And so, no, man, I'm excited to compare notes. Awesome. So tell us about your podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks. It's called If I Was Starting Today. And it's really people that are having that learning mindset, whether you're starting a business, you're trying to grow something, I, I bring people on significantly smarter than myself, giving that advice, whether it's e-commerce store, like we had Brian from Ball of Shoes, they did 1.5 million in seven days on their launch. So I was like, please tell me everything. I have like SaaS owners um, and just other people kind of in the business space, but it's super fun. It's how I sneakily try and learn from other people. Love it. Well, this was great.
0: Really, really appreciate all the knowledge bombs today, Jim. And uh, appreciate our partnership with Growth Hit over the years and excited to do more together.
1: Awesome. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much, man.